Well, welcome again uh, to REF. Uh, this semester, we have been, uh, the whole semester, kind of going through um, what I would call the story of Scripture. If you've been coming, uh, you know that, that what we're trying to say is that the Bible from the beginning all the way to the end is not a disjointed, just kind of compilation of books that maybe have some resemblance because they use a bunch of weird, churchy words, but rather that from Genesis, which is the first book in the Bible, to Revelation, which is the very last book, that this is one big love story. Okay? And it's a love story, as you know, uh, may know by now, about a king who creates a good world. Right? And so we talked about creation for three weeks and different aspects of that creation. And then he creates mankind and puts mankind to live in this world and to flourish and to extend the bounds of this kingdom throughout the whole world, so that all of earth might be a place uh, that would inhabit the king. But as you know, and as we talked about for just the most recent three weeks, mankind said no thanks. And at the beginning with Adam and Eve, they said, I think I'm going to try and do it on my own. Thanks, uh, thanks God. But I'm going to try this my own way. And so they fell into sin. And they started choosing ways that were outside and other than what God had said would be best for them. Okay, and they did that for a long period of time. And along the way, we didn't have time to talk about a lot of this, but I'm going to give you a brief overview. Along the way, God would send messengers to His people to bring them messages, right? Uh, and He would tell them things, and these people were called prophets. It began with Moses. Moses was, was a sort of prophet. Samuel was also a sort of prophet. But the big ones you may know of are Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Daniel, and then this whole group of people called the minor prophets. And God would come and He would bring these messages to His people um, who even though they had gone the other way, God was still pursuing them. He's saying, I'm not giving up on you. Even though you've been like, uh, you've been like a whore and you've gone after so many other lovers. And even though you have run after so many other idols, false gods, I'm coming after you still. But you see, there had been a problem recently. Because after Malachi, which is the last book in the Old Testament, Malachi was the last kind of prophet on the scene, there had been about 400 years where God didn't say anything. And there was silence from Him. And when Malachi comes and he gives that message, things were not well with God's people. They were still going the other way. They hadn't come back to God. And they hadn't turned back and said, yes, we want to live in your kingdom. They said, no, we're going to go on our way. Thanks, God. And so the people, at the time we read our story tonight, these people had to have been saying, has He left us? Is He done? Is the God who our ancestors worshipped and who we read about in these, in these scriptures and in these, uh, from these prophets, is He done with us? And for the first time in 400 years, some strange things start to happen around Jerusalem in Israel, which is the same Jerusalem that's there now. You see, these angels started visiting some people. They visited this woman named Elizabeth and said, you're going to be pregnant, and, you're going to have, uh, and your son's going to be called John. And John the Baptist is who it would be. And then this angel came to this woman named Mary and said, she was not married. She had never had sex before, and he said, you are going to be pregnant. But don't be afraid, which would be obviously have been the natural response. So don't be afraid. Because the Son of God is in your stomach. 
Well, thanks, Angel. That actually, that helped. No, that would be, ter- that'd be terrifying. You're about to give birth to God. Um, but that's, in essence, what was happening. Strange, yes, I'll give it that. But that was what had been talked about for so long. That's one of the things the prophets were saying was one day there would be somebody who, who God sends to make these things right. And Mary had been visited and said that. And what they're saying is the king is breaking his silence. Is that whereas he, whereas he had been absent for 400 years, he's coming back and he's going to come bring them some news. But what would this son of God, what would he come and say on behalf of his dad? What kingdom news would he bring to the people? Would it be good? Would it be bad? Would it be another pronouncement of judgment on their sin? What would it be? Let's read uh, our passages before us, and we'll find out. Um, what we're going to do, this is a little different, but um, this Mark passage here is kind of, it's going to be the main passage that we look at, and we're also going to read the one in Matthew, because he kind of expands a little bit on what Mark says right there. But this is God's Word, and this is the very Word um, that was coming to those people. It says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time was fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Down in Matthew. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took, the, took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest they strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All of these I will give to you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. If you would, uh, pray with me for a minute before we look at this. God, we expect for you to tell us something because they were expecting for you to tell them something. That what is it? What is the news that Jesus brings? What did he tell them? I pray that would be clear to us as we look at this passage. And Lord, what are you telling us as we sit here some 2,000 years later almost? What is it that you would want us to know? I pray that in this time that Jesus will become more beautiful to us than he has ever been. And that will only happen if you send your spirit to open our eyes and hearts so that we might see him that way. So we ask, Holy Spirit, come and do that now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, 
Uh, I did something different up here. If you have a question you want to send me um, during this time, I think I'm probably standing in front of it. I'm standing off the side. And you don't want me to know it was you who sent it, you can send a text to that first one. It's a Google thing, and I'll get it anonymously. Um, but if you just want to send it to my regular phone, that's fine, too. Uh, I just don't want that to be a prohibitor to y'all asking questions. We'll talk about them later. Okay, what's going on in the news right now? It's, it's crazy, right? I don't know if y'all been on uh, USA Today or New York Times or wherever you go. Tulsa World lags on some of the bigger stories. That's fine. Um, but there's a lot of crazy stuff going on. Okay, now unless you have been under a rock studying or gone for spring break, which both of you have, so these stories may be brand new to you. Um, right before spring break, actually the Friday before or something like that, this huge tsunami, I mean this huge earthquake happened off the, off the coast of Japan, right? And this big tsunami came onto, onto the land. 14,000 people have died, actually more than that now. But even, not even worse than that, but as bad as that and as scary as that, or that these nuclear reactors were damaged, right? And there's crazy amounts of radiation emitting from there. They said, I heard someone on the news talking about this, and they said that the amount of radiation, the intensity that's coming from those nuclear reactors right now is as if you had 1,000 x-rays a day for a whole month. So, like, if you walked up into there, well, I don't know what happens, but you're not going to walk out the same, right? It's not you're going to like cook from the inside. It's very scary. And it's not fixed yet. And so people are still on high alert. It's scary news. And then what? Two days, two days ago, um, we joined yet another offensive, military offensive. And we go in and we start bombing Libya for good reason. Their president had been, had been putting, uh, had been killing his own people. As far as I know. Y'all may know something different. But that's what I read. And so the UN has got together and says, we can't handle that. We're going to go against that. We're going to go uh, do something about that. But nobody wants to be in another war, do we? No one wants to be drug into something else that has, uh, you know, consumes us in just all this terrible situation for a long period of time. Nobody wants this. So there's all this bad news. There's all this bad news. But Jesus comes, and he comes out, of, 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 the, of the wilderness and says, I don't have bad news. I have good news. I have good news for you. And what is it? What is this gospel, which means good news? Why is it good news when Jesus comes out of the wilderness from this temptation? Well, let's see. Because to see what Jesus means when He says He has good news, we have to look at what happened when Jesus was tempted. We have to look at the, the temptations of Jesus in order to see the triumphs of Jesus. Okay, so let's first, let's look at these temptations. In the, first, in the primary passage tonight in Mark, uh, we read in verse 12 and 13, that the Spirit immediately drove him, his Jesus, out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. And then in the passage in Matthew, goes in and fills, fills in the details of what was happening out there in the wilderness, and in that time of temptation. And there are several things I want us to see about this temptation. The first, which I'm just going to kind of mention it in passing, is that it was the Spirit who led Jesus out into the wilderness. I don't know if you saw that, but if you're just kind of reading past that, you're like, well, that, that seems weird. Because God Himself leads Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted. Okay? Now, what's the problem with that? What's kind of our initial reaction against that? Is God, what are you doing? 
Why would you lead someone out there to be tempted? Why would you do that? And friends, it's true that God at times will send you and me into situations where we will be tempted. And that He does that purposefully even. And that may sound mean. And it may sound uh, like God's just kind of toying with us so that He can watch us fail and then sit up there and chuckle at how, how weak we are or whatever. But I suggest there's something bigger going on there. Because James 1.13 says that God Himself does not tempt us. That He is not evil. He's not out there trying to seek our demise. In 2 Corinthians 11.3, uh, 10.13 says that God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can handle. That somehow in God's working over all things, He says, I'm going to let you be in this situation. I'm going to even send you in this situation for a purpose. And that purpose is usually never clear to us on the front end, is it? It's usually never clear. And sometimes after we get through and we come out on the other side, if, if we do, some of you all are in the midst of stuff right now and you're thinking, I don't know if I'm going to come out. But you come out on the other side and sometimes you don't know why. You don't know why. But God lets us be tempted for many reasons, I'm sure. But I'm guessing... And I would put a lot of stock in the fact that one of these reasons is that He wants to show us our need for Him. Our utter dependence on Him in the midst of these trials and temptations. That it's kind of the message from the beginning. That that's what He had created Adam and Eve for was to be dependent on Him, but they ran the other way. And so at times He'll lead us into places where He's trying to say, look, you are dependent on Me. And I'm just going to try and show you that for a little while. And notice what Matthew says. He says the Spirit led Jesus out there to be tempted. Knowing this, what did Jesus do? Well, He went and fasted for 40 days. He went and got serious with God and said, God, I know you're taking me out here, and I better get real with you so I can know what you're doing in this time. And I better go and evidence the fact that I am utterly dependent on you because this scares me that, you, that I know you just led me out here. And that Jesus in His humanity, though being God, in the fact that He was a human, He evidenced that He needed something from the Father. He needed to know and to show His dependence on the Father in this time. Why would Jesus do this? He's saying, God, You are the only thing that can keep me from giving in to this temptation. Look, there's something about Jesus' humanity that we have to understand. We don't think that Jesus was a real person, do we? We just kind of think He was really like a ghost floating around here on earth. And that He was kind of like Super Brent. Or Super Sarah, or whatever. And that He just kind of, you know, maybe He was tempted, but it didn't really bother Him. But the author to Hebrews in chapter 4, verses 15 says, No, He was tempted like we were in every way. And that meant that whenever he would come under a temptation, he would feel it. And it would be hard. Hebrews goes on to say that he did it without sin, so he never gave in. But he felt acutely the temptation. And so he went out there and he said, God, I'm dependent on you. And I'm going to fast and show you that. Another thing I want us to see uh, that happens in this temptation are the similarities between Jesus going out of the wilderness and between Adam and Eve in the garden. Okay, these are crazy. There's a lot of them, uh, but I'm just going to go through them quickly. You begin to see the picture of what's happening. In verse 13 in the Matthew passage, or sorry, in the Mark passage, it says there's, a, there's kind of this wilderness scene with animals around. 
Same thing with Adam and Eve. They were in the garden. There were animals around. In fact, God had just finished parading the animals in front of Adam and said, Adam, find your spouse. He like brings the elephant by, and Adam's like, ah, that's not going to happen. Brings a giraffe by, and Adam says, God, I just can't do it. That's a pretty neck, but I just can't do that. <laughs> Thankfully, Adam didn't take an animal to be his spouse, right? Um, but instead, God created woman for him. But there they were in the midst of this garden with animals all around them. And then a second thing we notice is that Satan comes and tempts Jesus with food here in this passage. Look at Matthew uh, verses 2 through 4, the Matthew passage. Satan came and tempted Jesus, said, I know you've been fasting 40 days. And it says Jesus was hungry. Satan comes and says, let's eat. Call these, call these stones to become bread. Jesus, you're hungry. Eat. What did Satan do with Adam and Eve in the garden? Take this fruit. Eat of it. It'll be for your good. So Satan comes tempting with food. A third thing, Satan uses and misuses Scripture in the garden with Adam and Eve, doesn't he? Remember, Satan, the very first things he comes and says is, God didn't really say this, and he twists the words of God. That he's using Scripture and he's manipulating it. And Satan does the same thing with Jesus here. In Matthew verses, uh, uh, right there in verse 6 in Matthew, Satan quotes Psalm 91. That Satan himself uses Scripture to try and deceive Jesus. That should scare the heck out of us. That the evil one in this world right now knows the Bible. And that he will come and use it and manipulate it and twist it in your mind in whatever way he can to get you to fall. He did it to Jesus. He did it to Adam and Eve. Why wouldn't he do it to us? Fourth thing we see, Satan lures Jesus with offers of kingship. He says, Jesus, if you'll go, let's go up on this pinnacle. Let's go up here. I'm going to show you the kingdoms of the world. If you will fall down and worship me, I will give them to you. You will be king. What did he do to Adam and Eve? He said, if you eat of this fruit, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan is always trying to tempt people to be their own God. To be their own God. But there's one temptation here that has utterly floored me since I started studying this. It's utterly changed the way that I've seen some things. Because you see, before Jesus' temptation, the reason I had us read the account of His baptism is because of this. And we'll look at it in just a second. Pieces of it is that when Jesus comes out of His baptism, which didn't mean He had become a Christian, um, it meant something completely different. It was His inauguration, the beginning of His public ministry. But He comes out of the baptism, literally up out of the water, and what happens? The heavens open up. A dove, the Spirit of God comes down on Him like a dove. Friends, and for the first time in 400 years, God Himself says something. You know, he had spoken through some angels and used these different ways to talk to people with Mary and with her cousin Elizabeth and different things. But God is just now breaking His silence. And what is He saying? This is My Son. And I am pleased with Him. Jesus, You are My Son. And though You are on earth right now, and though You are living in a body right now, You are My Son. Don't forget it. I am pleased with You. I love you. That that's the first thing that God says when He comes out of the gate. After 400 years, King breaks His silence. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a pep talk, um, but as I was thinking about this, I thought this is kind of like the best pep talk ever, right? Um, God talks to you, says you're the one. It's like, all right, I can pretty much do anything now. Um, but what's the best thing about a pep talk? is that someone comes to you and tells you true things about you. 
and says, you are this, now go and do it. What would be a bad pep talk? Is if you were, I was thinking about a boxer who goes into the ring, you know, he's like sitting down in his corner and his trainer is rubbing his shoulder, standing in front of him being like, you can do this. You're better than this guy. You can take him. And you're looking at a guy over there who's seven feet tall and who's gigantic and you're sitting there in your mind saying, I am going to be dead in like 30 seconds. <laughs> you're lying to me and this isn't helping. That would be a bad pep talk. But Vince Lombardi, a famous coach of the Packers um, from back in the 20s and 30s and all these things, he looked at his team during halftime of the Super Bowl. They were getting destroyed by the Chicago Bears. Destroyed by them. And he goes in at halftime and looks at them. And he picks up a football. He says, gentlemen, this is a football. That is a field. And you are football players. And he finished this long speech. But what was he doing? <laughs> and I'm sure there were other amazing things, right? <laughs> what was he doing? He was telling them, this is true about you. This is a football. That much we know. And you are professional football players. You can do this. And he leads them out there. And as all good stories go, they win. They had gotten the best pep talk, second best ever. <laughs> um, <laughs> But what's happening is that God is not coming to tell Jesus something that He's not, something that Jesus had forgotten, but He's coming and saying, this is true about you. You're my son. I am pleased with you. Now begin your ministry. Go out. Do what you were sent to do. And do you want to know what the first thing that Satan says to Jesus when he gets out into the wilderness? Look down in Matthew 4.3. If you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God. Then turn these stones into bread. And then down in verse 6. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Do you remember what the first thing that Satan asked Eve in the garden is? He came to Eve in that weak moment and said, Did God really say to you that if you ate of this fruit or this tree that you would die? Is that really what God said? He's doing the exact same thing with Jesus. Is that He's coming in and He's casting doubt on them. He's casting doubt on what God had said. On who God was. On God's very goodness and His love for His creation and His people. And here, His Son. Some of you are fairly new to this thing called Christianity. Some of you have been doing it for a long time. And it's kind of just natural. It's old hat for you. You saw your parents do it. You grew up in the church. And that's great. I'm, I'm actually very happy that you have that heritage and that's your story. It's a great story. Some of you are new at this. Some of you aren't in it yet and you're kind of looking from afar saying, what is this about? And some of you have been doing it, uh, or rather trying to do it, trying to be good your whole life. Have been trying to believe that God really loves you. But you struggle massively with this. It is like a freight train that comes through your life are the thoughts that, I, don't, I can't believe this. Because after what I did last night, or after the thing that I can't stop doing, that there are these voices where we doubt what is most true of us if we are a Christian. And that is, that God is pleased with you. That He's no longer angry at you for your sin. 
that you're His son. Or that you're His daughter and He's well pleased with you. But what happens is that in those moments of temptation, and even beyond that, in those moments when we give in to the temptation, we're hearing a voice from the pit of hell literally. From Satan himself that is coming and saying, you think God loves you? You're a joke. This life that you're living, your efforts to be a good Christian, you're, you're stupid. You're, you're a fake. That's not true of you. God doesn't really love you. To put it very plainly, because you still struggle so much, and because for years or for some of you decades, you can't get over certain things, day to day, you walk around and you wonder if Jesus ever loved you in the first place. And if it ever really took in your heart. And so you struggle with assurance of salvation. You walk around day to day saying, I don't know if God loves me. And because I don't know that, I'm going to go out there and earn it. And I'm going to go out there and do more. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to show God that I love Him. And I'm going to go share the gospel more. And I'm going to go on more mission trips. And I'm going to give my money to the right places. Because I'm going to show God that I love Him. Because I don't know if He loves me. And some of y'all actually do that. A lot of y'all do that. I do that from time to time. Because I don't believe that God really is pleased with me. And I want you to know that this is exactly what Satan wants you to believe. It's exactly what he wanted Jesus to believe. And it's exactly what he wanted Israel to believe in the wilderness. Because it's exactly what he wanted Adam and Eve to believe is that God is not good and He doesn't love you. And so when you look at your life and you say, if I was a Christian, then surely I wouldn't still look in the mirror and think these things about me anymore. That good Christians don't do that. Or if I was a Christian, I wouldn't let my mind and my heart escape into these fantasy worlds of lust and romance. If I was a good Christian, I wouldn't do that. Or if I was a good Christian, I wouldn't. What is it? What is it that you tell yourself? What are the lies that you believe that keep you from hearing God saying He's pleased with you? I don't know what they are. I know some of what they are for you all. And they're hard. Those Those are bad lies. But I want you to know that if your hope and your faith and your trust is in Christ, then God is pleased with you. Two days ago, I was under the weight of, of my own sin like I haven't been in a long time. And you want to know the only thing I could hear and feel about myself was that I was a failure, an utter failure. Failure, failure. It's all I could hear. It was the only voice in my mind. I didn't at that moment believe that God loved me. I knew it theologically because I could read it in the Bible, but I did not experience it. I did not feel it. I felt like a failure in certain areas of my life. And friends, when you're in that situation, just as I was, you have to hear the words of God to you in Christ. If you are in Christ, He comes to you and says, 
you are my son. You are my daughter. Satan will want you to believe all sorts of lies. But I am telling you the truth. And it is that I am pleased with you. I'm pleased with you. But how can this be true? Well, in short, it's because Jesus triumphs. He wins. He wins in this passage. We've seen the temptations, but now we have to see the triumph. We have to see how it's possible that in the midst of our sin, God can actually say that He's pleased with us. Let's look back in in Mark, and the one on the top there, in verses 14 and 15. It says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel, which means the good news of God, and saying, The time was fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Friends, how can God look at me And how can God look at you in the midst of all of your sin and your failures to be good at life? How can He look at you in the midst of all of these times and say, I'm pleased with you? Well, we've seen the similarities between Jesus and Adam in the temptation, but sometimes the similarities are there to highlight the differences. And we see that in several ways. The first thing we see, the first difference we see, is that when Adam and Eve, and when you and I doubt God's goodness, when Satan comes and tries to get us to doubt God, and what he's saying about us, there was one there who didn't doubt. And who could look at Satan and say, no, that's not true. What you're telling me right now is not true. I know who I am. I'm God's Son. And I'm going to quote Scripture to show you that you're a liar. And so he does. Three different times Jesus says, for it is written, it is written, it is written. What's he doing? He's saying, Satan, shut up. You are lying. You are lying. Secondly, when Adam and Eve ate when they were tempted by Satan, and when you and I eat from the buffet of sin that is paraded before our eyes and our lives every day, there was one who, when he was tempted by Satan, did not eat. He did not give in to the evil one and his schemes and his desires. This man, Jesus, didn't so much as eat a bit of bread after he had not eaten for 40 days. I fasted for a day, one day, a few times in my life. It's freaking hard, right? Like, I'm, by like lunchtime, I'm already thinking, well, I'm just going to do like a breakfast and lunch fast. I'm not really going to skip dinner, too. Or I'm just going to eat some after it goes, the sun goes down. I'm just, I'm out of there. Jesus did it for 40 days. He was hungry. But Satan came to him and said, eat. And Jesus said, no, I'm not going to you. For man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. My dad, the father. Thirdly, when Satan offers Adam and Eve the chance to be like God, knowing good and evil. And when we too are tempted by the evil one to live lives and just kind of do what we want. You know, I just kind of want to be good. I think I know what's going to work in this world. I want to be good enough to find things. I'm dating him. He's a good guy. He's a good girl. God, I know that, I know that that's not what you, you would want me to date a Christian, but he's good. I'm fine. Friends, the temptation there is that we want to have ultimate say over our lives. But there was one who knew that only life under the king would be the good life. So what does he do? He looks at Satan and says, you know what? 
There's a king. His name's God. And you would do well to worship him too. Bow down and worship him, Satan, is what he's saying. He's the king. Have you ever been in class, um, or maybe in a Sunday school class, or a Bible study, or something, and when you answer a question, and you just give the wrong answer, just no qualms about it, you just say the wrong thing, and you don't really know that, I mean, maybe the teacher might kind of, okay, anybody else? Um, so someone else gives the right answer, and you, and you kind of start saying, well, I mean, yeah, that's, that's basically what I meant, right? I mean, they, there's a little bit of difference here, but that's kind of what I was saying, and we're trying to back into it and be like, oh my gosh, I just made the biggest idiot of myself. Um, but that's what I meant. Why do we do that? Why do we want to kind of cover for ourselves and run from it? And the more we try to, in those situations, show that we really knew, we really knew the answer, we really knew what to do, the more we're just showing that we really did. And we just blew it. And while that's a small example, some of you do that, and we can carry that out into the rest of our lives, where we know that, that we shouldn't do something. But, I mean, we, we kind of wanted to. We had good intentions. I really wanted to do the right thing. That's what I meant to do. Well, you see, the message of this passage is that Jesus looks at a people in his day as he was standing there talking. He looked at a people who for thousands of years had gone the other way. And who at times had come back and said, well, that's kind of what we meant to do, Jesus. I mean, okay, we'll come back to you for a little while. We'll go back and live under the king. But for thousands of years, they ran the other way. That they had been going after all sorts of other gods and other idols and false kingdoms. And Jesus looks at them back then. And Jesus looks at us tonight, who in the same way, will go after all sorts of false gods. And who will go to live under all, all sorts of false kings and their kingdoms. And will give ourselves to other idols and to other lovers. And if you would ever be honest enough with yourself to admit it, you're not really good. You're not really doing just fine. If you'll ever take the time to look at yourself and to take away the facade of your life, you realize that I'm not good. But friends, Jesus comes and breaks the silence with further good news. He comes and says, you know, I know what you meant to do, but you blew it. You really screwed it up. Just own it. Believe it. And believe that that's okay. Because what you didn't do out in the wilderness when tempted... What Adam and Eve didn't do when they were out there. And when you and I walk into this world, walk out of here tonight, when we go out and live, and what we fail to do in obedience to God, Jesus comes and says, it's okay. I have good news for you. I was tempted too, but I did it. I didn't give in. I'm the better Adam. I'm the better you. And he comes and says, though the king had every reason to stay far off, because his people had gone after other lovers, they had whored after so many other things. You see, what you don't know, people, is that I, Jesus, was promised a bride. 
that God promised me before the foundation of the world that I would be married one day. And what I'm coming to do, and my good news for you, is that I've come out of temptation. And I've come and done it because I'm looking for my bride now. And though my father said that she's gone after so many other lovers, and though my father said your bride is going to be not worth you, she's going to be unworthy. I'm telling you it's okay because she's going to be my wife. And friends, Jesus comes out of that garden and He says, I don't care what you have done. I don't care what you're doing right now. I have good news for you. The kingdom of God is at hand. That God has called me and sent me to go get my bride. And the doors to the kingdom are open right now. But I'm the only way in. Do you want to come? He's saying it's good news. Do you want to come back into the kingdom? The good king? Do you want to be under him and be my bride forever? I'll love you like you want to be loved. Friends, that's what Jesus says to you right now. Do you want to be part of that bride? Turn from yourself and turn to Him. Believe what He says is good news. That He did it for you. He did. Come to Him. Let's pray. King Jesus. To be honest, we would struggle even now to believe what you say about us is true. That you would want to be married to us right now in the midst of our sin and rebellion. But that's what you say. Is that you don't care what we've done. You don't care what we're doing right now. You you care in the sense that you love us. But you'll take any of us we would just turn to you. I pray that we would. And we'll only do that if your spirit comes and enables us to. So we pray and ask that he would. We pray these things through Jesus' name. Amen.